Dear Heavenly Father, we, we just come into your presence and we ask you that you would still our hearts and that you would still our minds. And Father, that we would be able just to hear from you. Father, that we would just be able to hear your word, receive from you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God say, Amen. I want to put a disclaimer out there. I realized I might sweat through my t-shirt today. And I want to let y'all know that ahead of time. Because I figured I'd rather sweat through my t-shirt than sweat through a button up. Somebody say amen. And so if you're going to be comfortable, I'm going to be comfortable. Somebody shout glory. Amen. We've been talking the last few weeks on the topic of redefining normal in the context of Christianity and what you view as normal as a Christian and what Jesus might really view as normal. Amen. I want to tell you a little story today, a true story, and hopefully I'm going to put this right here so I don't have to be distracted by it. Hopefully by the time I'm done, you understand where I'm headed. October 2nd, 2006, a man by the name of Charles Carl Roberts, a husband, a father of three, living in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, walked into a one-room schoolhouse full of Amish kids. He had a Springfield XD 9mm gun. He walked in just after 10 a.m. Something had pressed him to the point of just breaking in his life. He let everybody go except 10 little girls. And by 1107, he had shot all 10 girls, killing five instantly. Only five survived. For those of you who know the Amish community, the Amish community consider themselves devout disciples of Jesus Christ. And shortly thereafter, they proved their discipleship. What happened next was not rage. What happened next was not bitterness. It was not anger. The Amish community, hours after this man, Charles Roberts, killed five of their children and shot five other ones. On the day of the shooting, one of the grandfathers of the children who was killed, he said, we must not think evil of this man. Another Amish father said, he had a mother and a wife and a soul, and he stands before God. A member of the Amish community, he said, I don't think there's anybody here that wants to do anything but forgive. And not only reach out to those who have suffered a loss, in that way, but to reach out to the family of the man who committed these acts. Just a few hours after he murdered their children, they showed up at his doorstep declaring to his wife, we forgive you. We love you. The Amish community set up a trust fund for his family and for his children because they would now have bills they could not pay because he was the breadwinner of the family. 
One Amish man held Robert's father. The man who did this, he held his father for over an hour while he cried on his shoulder. And all the Amish men said was, it's all right. We forgive you. We forgive you. We forgive him. Don't worry about it. They set up 30 of the Amish community members went to the man's funeral because he committed suicide in that schoolhouse. He killed five kids, shot five others, and they show up at his funeral declaring that Jesus Christ would want them to forgive. And so they forgave. Marie Roberts, the widow of Charles Roberts, she wrote a letter to the Amish community and she said, your love for our family has helped to provide the healing we so desperately need. Gifts you've given have touched our hearts in a way no words can describe. Your compassion has reached beyond our family, beyond our community, and is changing our world. And I would challenge you today that that is normal of a follower of Jesus Christ. That's normal. That's normal forgiveness. That's what Jesus requires of his followers. But oftentimes, that's not what we do. Their children were murdered, and a few hours later, the victim's parents were on his doorstep offering to cook food for them. <laughs> You're missing the picture, I think. Put yourself in their shoes. You're a mother, you're a father. And your kid's murdered. And what you do is you go home and you get some nice baked macaroni and cheese. And you take it over to the guy's wife who killed your child. We got trouble forgiving someone who cut us off on the highway. But this man was forgiven instantly. I know to you that might not seem normal. That might seem a bit extreme, but that's exactly what God desires of his followers. That type of forgiveness is what Jesus called for. Is that how you forgive? Does that seem like what you would do? And if that's not what you would do, then I would challenge you that you are outside of God's desired will for your life and that not all of your heart is surrendered to the purposes of Jesus. Without hesitation, they forgave. Without somebody pushing them, they forgave. Without waiting years, they forgave. That is true forgiveness. And today, I want to redefine what forgiving people is in your lives. Some of us say that we forgive those who have hurt us deeply. And then we choose to avoid them the rest of our life. And yet, you never test the depth of your forgiveness if you're never confronted with the person. But when you see them, old feelings and hatred rise up in you. It's because forgiveness was not heartfelt. It was out of sight, out of mind. Could you imagine one of your children being murdered and you show up at that person's doorstep facing their family, their children, and while your children is your child is getting ready to be buried, you're cooking for his three children. That's real Christianity. That's real forgiveness. 
I'm not saying you need to hang around every person that hurts you, but what I'm saying is if you run from every person that ever hurts you, how can you ever test the depth of your Christianity? Yes, the story of the Amish is drastic, but it exemplifies what Jesus put as a criteria for forgiveness. Real forgiveness doesn't care about the pain it caused anymore because there's freedom. There's freedom in forgiveness. In the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 is the piece there where Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those or as we forgive our debtors in the NIV, it says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In the New Living Translation, it says, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. This is what Jesus would desire of you. Instant forgiveness, not years of dissatisfaction, years of hurt, years of pain. Are you with me today? He's calling for real forgiveness Right after Jesus prays the Lord's Prayer, he has this, this scripture in Matthew 6, 14. And this is what Jesus says. He says, for, and understand the word for is a transitional word. The word for is transitional. It's attached to the part where he talks about sin. And he says, for if, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Your forgiveness is based on your ability to forgive. Verse 15, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Now, I want to explain that because theologically that might sound contradicting. Jesus died for all of your sins. You are forgiven, point blank. But what this means in context is that you will not have fellowship with God. Yes, you're theologically forgiven, but you will not have fellowship with God with unforgiveness living in your heart. And Jesus tells a parable, and I want to read that parable. It's in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. And he reads this parable talking about forgiveness. And listen to what Jesus says. It's probably a familiar parable to you, but the Lord has given me some things about this I want to share with you. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Somebody say everything. The servant's master took pity on him canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. The same request that he just gave to his master, his fellow servant says, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. 
Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged. And when they told the master everything, what had happened, the master called the servant, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. I'm in verse 35 and it says, the words of Jesus, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister. Not from your mouth, but he says from your heart. We see Peter, and Peter says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive him? Seven times? And that might seem a bit ironic or funny to you, but what you don't realize is rabbis would teach the Jewish people that you only forgave three times. First time, shame on them. Second time, shame on you. Third time, (laughs) you can go somewhere. And so when Peter says seven times, Peter was actually being generous. But Jesus He said 77 times, and that 77 is not an ironic number. It's not a significant number. What it means is that you should not keep count of how many times you forgive someone. You should not keep count of how many times you forgive someone. Jesus, often speaking in parables, he told this parable. And parables hold a spiritual significance beneath the surface of the story. And he says, there's this king who wants to settle these debts that his servants has. He wants to settle all the accounts. The king here is God. It's a representation of God the Father. In the, in the King James Version, it says that the man owed his master 10,000 talents. A talent is a measurement of gold. In the Roman times in which it was written, it's 71 pounds of gold. So he owed his master 71 pounds of gold times 10,000. He owed his master 710,000 pounds of gold. An ounce of gold sells in today's market for $1,282.71. Wouldn't you wish you would find just an ounce of gold? A pound of gold is $20,000. 710,000 pounds is what he owed. 710,000 pounds in today's money, that's $14,571,472,000. This word used in Matthew 18 to say debt, it's only used one other place in the scripture, and it means, rather it's in Matthew 6 when Jesus in the Lord's prayer says debt. It's the only two places we see this Greek word, and this Greek word means a debt that is impossible to repay. In our terminology today, it would mean that it would bankrupt you to pay it. Understand that this is an insurmountable debt. This man, this servant, has an insurmountable debt that he could never repay his master. And by Jewish law, the master could enslave his entire family. And so the master gives the order and the servant begins to beg. Say, master, please give me time to pay. He was lying. There was no way he could pay this debt. He was just saying what sounded good at the time like some of us might say. I forgive you. 
He was saying what sounded good at the moment. Could you understand that this was an insurmountable debt? In today's money, over $14 billion this man owed. The servant with no other option, he throws himself at the mercy of this master, the king. And he says, please, I beg of you, give me time. Give me time. I can imagine the thought of losing his family running through his head and how his life will forever be destroyed. I imagine the man beating himself up in his mind saying, I was so stupid to take out that loan. I was so stupid to borrow that money. How did I ever rack up such a debt that I knew I could never pay the price? He's at the mercy of his king. And the king has already given the order. His family is to be enslaved in order to pay for this debt. And before this servant is a life-changing moment, all he had as a bargaining chip was the grace of the king. And there he was, laid low, bowing down before the king. And he said this, would you give me time to pay? That may not seem significant to you at this moment. He said, give me time to pay. And the king was moved with compassion. The Bible says the king had pity on him. And he instead said, I forgive you the entire debt. That's just like God. You ask for a little, but he does exceedingly, abundantly, above what you can ask or imagine. That's the God we serve. This is a representation of God. He does above and beyond your expectations. He cleared a debt of over $14 billion in our money. I wish you could understand how liberated this man must have felt. Understand he gave forgave rather this debt entirely. In case you're missing the point here, the debt is a debt of sin. It's representing sin. It's a debt you could not pay on your own. On your best day, your sins could never be forgiven of your own accord. It is an irrevocable load of debt that you have. You earn this debt every time you ever sinned and you're going to sin. And every time you ever cussed, you did it against God. Every sin you ever committed was against the holiness and the greatness of God. The, the majesty that is God. When you were out there fornicating or doing whatever it was you did, hopefully years ago. I got to throw that hopefully word in there at the church these days. What you were hopefully doing in the past. It was a debt you could not pay every time you fell into drunkenness. It was a debt you could not pay when you fell into all these sins. It was a debt you could not pay. But the grace of Jesus Christ, the cross that is Jesus Christ, he paid the debt for you. He wiped out the debt. And the master, and the master knowing that his son would pay the price in this story, he says, your, your debt's forgiven. Your debt's forgiven. Your debt is forgiven. God is a holy God. Every time we sin, it's, it's, it's against God. First Peter 1.15 says that our God is holy and we should be holy like him. We know that on our best day, we're full of sin. The servant in the story is you. It's me with insurmountable sins. I don't know about you. But I was a good sinner. 
You know, I hear people say, oh, I was stuck in that life of sin, that old dirty life. I don't know what they're talking about because when I was sinning, it was fun. I wish you would be honest. You loved it. Clubbing, you loved it. Sleeping around, we all loved it. Drinking, we loved it. Drugs, we loved it. Cussing people out, some of y'all loved it. But yet when we saw and we came to realization of our sin and we saw the sacrifice that Jesus made, that's when conviction came over us and we fell out of love with sin and we fell into love with Jesus. Jesus. I wish you could understand the power that is Jesus. I don't have time to go so deep into but he literally took the debt. When he was hanging on the cross, he said, it is finished. It's one word in Greek and it's tetelis day. And what it means is that, is that the debt is completely wiped out. It's an accounting term. The debt is wiped out. It's wiped out. It's done. You and me have this debt called sin. We could never repay him just like the king did for that servant. God has done it for us. The grace of God, unmerited favor. I, I, I like to tell people who are struggling with that concept, I like to tell them that Jesus, he died for all your sins. All of them, not one of them, not two of them. If Jesus, if Jesus only died for the sins you would commit before you were saved, then after you got saved, you have to die again. Get the podcast. That might have been too deep for some of you. That's okay. What that means is that all your sins, even the ones you haven't committed yet, they're under the blood of Jesus Christ. They're under the blood of Jesus Christ. If God held them against you and Jesus, he would be a liar. And God's not a man that he would lie. I would be so bold as to tell you that the reason some folks might split hell wide open is not because they're sin, because God already forgave them. It's for rejecting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, he that does not believe shall perish. Believe in what? Jesus. He that does not believe shall perish. Not he that is not forgiven, because everyone's forgiven, even the person who hasn't reconciled with God. That's why our job is to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. And here this king, he, he gave this servant good news. That's normal to forgive an insurmountable debt. That is normal according to God. God is a forgiving God. I thought I would get an amen because some of y'all know you are good sinners. You came in and out of God's presence. You spent years in the world, days in the church, years in the world, weeks in the church, months in the world, and finally said, oh, I'm going to stay in church this time. He forgave all that you could ever do wrong. And so the servant, forgiven now, redeemed, free man, good credit now. Somebody say amen. Don't you wish God would just erase your credit scores and just give you a 750, all of you across the board. Once you get saved, boom, 750. Wouldn't that be awesome? But there's some things you got to work for. And the servant walks out. He walks out and he sees this other servant who owes him, the Bible says, a hundred silver coins, which in our money today is a thousand dollars. And he grows so angry at this man. He says, where's my money? And the servant says, I don't have it. 
And the Bible says the man began to choke him. He choked him. He was violent with him. There was rage in this man. He choked this man. He, we can see right away from the violence with which he, he, he acts with his person that owes him money, that the forgiving servant, he was not humbled by being forgiven. And that's the problem with a lot of Christians. You're not humbled by God's forgiveness. You become prideful. He was not affected spiritually the way he should have, that his master had forgiven him everything. How often are we unaffected by the mercy and the grace of God over our lives? And yet we harbor condemnation and we harbor unforgiveness. The job of a Christian is not to condemn, it's not to harbor unforgiveness. The Bible says in John, it says that Jesus did not come to condemn the world. It is not the job of pastors. It is not the job of any of spiritual leaders to condemn people, but to bring life, to speak the truth of life. Satan condemns. Satan stands before the brethren as an accuser. That's not my job. I have to preach Jesus the truth. The truth. And here this man, he's mad at the servant who owes him about $1,000 and he was just forgiven $14 billion and he's worried about a debt of $1,000. This is like so many of us, God has forgiven us so much and we act so grateful at what God has done. But in reality, if we were truly grateful, we would return the grace that he gave to us to others. Why is it normal for followers of Jesus to walk around with unforgiving hearts? towards people how is it that we can try to live after jesus and yet not do as he does your debt has been paid it's time that you paid the debt of others the servant he came forward to plead with this other servant the same way that he had done before the master and he said just give me time to pay and he said no and he had him put in jail because all he had in his mind was revenge hatred he had him imprisoned this prison is most likely a prison of bitterness because that's the prison that we have, that we experience when we don't release people to be forgiven. Are you with me today? Paul, Paul talks about the word bitterness. He describes bitterness sort of as a root in Hebrews twelve fifteen. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, many become defiled. He says that this, let no one fail to obtain God's grace. What's grace? It's God, unmerited favor, forgiving you for all your sins. And when you accept God's forgiveness, it means you immediately have to forgive others. Let me clarify this for you. Paul, he had no New Testament. Everything Paul knew was Old Testament. Everything Paul knew was, was about covenants, was coming from the Mosaic law. And Paul is referencing a scripture in Deuteronomy 29, 18. And it says this, Beware, lest there be among you a man or a woman, a clan or a tribe, whose heart is turning away from the Lord our God to go and serve gods of those nations. Talking about evil gods. He says this, Beware, lest there be among you a root, Bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. Bitterness is not the root. The root is something different. The product of the root, the fruit of the root is bitterness. Anger is a bitter fruit. 
Hatred is a bitter fruit. Pride is a bitter fruit. And these are things that do not allow us to forgive. Can I go a little bit deeper for you? He describes what the root is in verse 19. One who, when he hears the word of the sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying this. Now, this is the person who has the bitter roots. This is why he has it. He says, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of mine own heart. I mean, let me just tie that up for you. That's like, you know, all a bunch of strings loose. I got to tie this up for you. He says this. He says, but any man who does not walk and tries to accept the covenant of God on his terms and not on God's terms. What's the covenant now? Back then it was talking about the law. But, but Paul is now talking about the covenant of grace. The forgiveness of sins. He says, if you don't forgive and you walk in the stubbornness of your heart saying this, I shall be saved though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. Bitterness takes root in you. Bitterness takes root. And it produces bad fruits. Fruit like anger, hatred, dislike. Paul is referencing the fact that when someone who thinks they are under covenant with God, like some of y'all, I'm going to keep it real today. Some of y'all who want to be saved, some of y'all who want to be Christians, some of y'all who, who come to church and you love God, but you have hatred towards others because of what they've done to you. If you do not love them, if you don't love the people of God, the love of God is not in you because God is love. You cannot be a follower of Christ. And hate the husband who divorced you and cheated on you. You can't be a follower of Christ and still harbor hate for the person that molested you or raped you. At some point, this has to get real. And real Christians forgive real sins. Oh, that's a tough word. You mean I got to forgive them? Yes, you've got to forgive. The person who might have beat you and hurt you, you have to forgive. The father or mother who might have abandoned you. You have to forgive the person, the friend who backstabbed you. You have to forgive for we were forgiven. Paul writes in Ephesians to the church in Ephesus, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Are you with me today? When we read of the Amish, we're amazed at their ability to forgive, but this is normal. This whole series is redefining normal. Maybe at this point in your life, there's still bitterness and ill will towards all types of people in your life. But God says to you today, you were forgiven. You need to forgive. Paul writes to the church in Colossus in Colossians 3.13, bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against you, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so must you also forgive. Have you forgiven them? It's easy to tell me you forgave them. Have you told them? Have you walked to that person who might have raped you or molested you? Have you been bold enough in Jesus with the strength that is Jesus? This might offend you, but have you walked up to them and said, man, I forgive you and I'm praying for you. 
Have you walked up to the people who have turned their back on you and totally hurt you? And have you said, I forgive you? I forgive you. Have you tried to maybe write a letter or send them an email and say, listen, whatever happened between us, I want to let you know, I, I forgive you. Have you taken your Christianity real, truthfully, and have you been honest and said, I forgive you because I've been harboring hurt and pain? Or do you live your life daily trying to avoid them? Making sure you're not at places where they might show up because the bitterness that might pop up in your heart. A couple minutes ago, there was amens, but when it talks about actually you forgiving, it kind of got a little quiet. And the truth of the matter is, is because some of us, we value our pain more than God's wishes for our life. Your heart means more to you and your pain becomes an idol because you worship it instead of being like Christ and forgiving. And your pain and your hurt becomes more important than God's desires for your life and you break fellowship with God. How can you hate people made in the image of God and love God? That's like standing in a mirror and telling yourself, I love you, but in reality, you hate yourself. You can't, like I said last week, you can't build a wall to keep people made in the image of God out and expect God to get through the same wall. He's the real deal. He's not the image. How can we call ourselves Christians and yet not live a life that forgives? And you say, man, those Amish people are radical. But Jesus is looking down and saying, that's what I told you to do. Because that's normal. What we do, that's not normal. Years, years, and oh, I need time to heal. I need time to get this right. It just hurts too much right now. Do you know the longer you wait, the harder it gets? I told you about nine months ago, bitter people don't get better. They get bitter. Jesus, he said, you should forgive as my father has forgiven you. Just like this servant who was forgiven everything, all of our sins, even the small sins, the big sins. I don't, I don't think you might have connected that yet. You were forgiven everything you would ever do. And yet you can't forgive one or two things someone did to you. How hypocritical of us is it that we would expect complete forgiveness and yet not return that to God? Because in reality, we have to be like Christ. I told you last week that when you call yourself a Christian, that can mean a lot of things. That can mean you're a Christian who like, likes to go out, likes to party, likes to drink, likes to do this, likes to sleep around. I've seen a lot of Christians doing a lot of things. But when you're a disciple, eh, that's kind of really defined. There's no gray area. That means you're discipled, disciplined in the ways of Jesus. <laughs> so we call ourselves Christians and yet live like the world, but yet these disciples, these Amish who live like Christ, who constantly chase after his heart, and maybe you don't have to agree with everything they do, but one thing they got down is they know how to forgive. And they, they even help pay for the funeral. <laughs> Some of you would be, for lack of a better word, damned if you help pay for the funeral of the person that hurt you. Let alone cook a dinner for their funeral. 
Some of this may sound extremely offensive and in your face. And like I told someone just a little other day, I said, our job as a church is to, you know, to have ushers and have everybody in place and, and make sure that when, they, when they're coming in, that no one feels like they're not directed so that they're not offended by that. I said, chances are I'm going to offend them in the preaching so that you don't offend them before that. Let's just offend them once with the truth that is Jesus Christ. What I'm telling you is just the truth. And some of you are living under a burden of hurt, a burden of pain, calling yourselves followers of Christ, but yet do nothing he did. Don't talk how he talked. Don't live how he lived. Don't spend no time with your fellow brothers. Don't fellowship with nobody. But yet you're a follower of Christ, deeply committed to Jesus, but yet you've got bitterness and anger in you. God forbid somebody in church hurts us. We'd rather leave churches rather than forgive. I know folks who walked out on me because they couldn't forgive somebody. I don't even know what you're mad about. Whatever happened to being like Christ? The Bible says the master called the servant back in and he called him a wicked servant. An evil servant. Because God looks at people who can't forgive and he sees evil. It's a sin not to forgive. If someone sins against you, understand this, and you, in your pain, hold on to what they did, you're holding on to their sin. Understand, you're holding on to their sin and you are internalizing it into your life. And that's why Jesus says, you must, somebody say, forgive. Maybe that's not yet how you live your life, but that's how God would desire you live with your life. To you who are struggling with unforgiveness, forgiveness will not break you, it will heal you. Forgiveness does not mean you're weak, it means you're strong. It does not mean you're dumb, it means you're smart enough to know God's word. It does not make you naive, it makes you godly. It makes you like Christ. It makes you... Like Christ, I want to close with this because I have another story for you, and it's a true story. It's a true story. In June of 2006, I had a friend of mine, too. I won't say his name. He was one of my employees. I went to high school with him. One of the best kids I knew. I mean, one of the best kids you'll ever meet in your life. Had a bright future. Intelligent kid. One of the greatest basketball players I had ever seen. He was college bound. This kid was just probably one of the best ballers in Bridgeport. 17 years old. 17 years old in the month of June 2006. Got into an argument with a friend on Hancock Avenue. Another kid that I grew up with got so mad he walked home, picked up a 12-inch butcher knife, implored by his mother to go fight back, to go do something to this kid. And he walked up to my friend and he put a 12-inch butcher knife in his chest. My friend bled out, died right there on the street. They tried reviving him. Didn't work. The kid who committed the crime drove himself to the police precinct over on the corner of State Street in Howard, and he turned himself in. His mother took left and skipped town, knowing that she was guilty too. 
One of the worst days of my life, one of the worst times of my life to lose someone who was such a good man. At the sentencing of this young man who had killed my friend, the mother of my friend stood up in front of the judge, in front of the courtroom, looked him in the eyes and said, I forgive you. Turned around and said to the judge, judge, it wasn't his fault. He was egged on by someone else, judge. He was an abused kid. Would you go easy on him? Some of you might find that it's crazy. But that's real Christianity. That's Jesus working. I'm not talking about being mad for five years, ten years. Mad because your dad walked out on you and you can't forgive him or face him. He might live across town and you have so much bitterness in you about what he did that you won't go see him. And you won't try and just say, hey, by the way, I forgive you. He might accept it, he might not, but yet you know you did it. That's living like Christ. That's normal. Forgiving those who have hurt you. Are you with me today? Maybe you haven't had a child that's been murdered like my friend or like these Amish people. But maybe there's people in your life you haven't forgiven. I want today to be your day to offer you an opportunity to begin the process of forgiveness. I don't know about you, but my sole desire as a pastor is to guide people into being like Christ. I want to guide people into being what Jesus would desire for us, to be what Jesus prescribed for our lives. And that's not being bitter. That's not being angry. But it's to be like Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? Stand with me this morning. I want to get my leaders, if you can come to the front. I want to just do something a little different today. Just do something a little different today. Ushers, if you could pass out what I handed to you. The ushers have these cards, these index cards, and they have some pens if you need it. And maybe this isn't for everybody, but I believe there's just a couple of people, at least, that you know there's some deep-seated hurt in your life. There's some deep-seated things that God wants to root out of you, that God wants to help you with, that God wants to garden you with, that God wants to really move in your life with. Are you with me today? Now, I don't believe that writing something on a card can actually do anything. I don't believe it has any spiritual significance, but yet it is a physical step towards you recognizing and acknowledging that you've got a problem. That you've got an issue. And here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to pay attention to me. If they're, they're coming, they're going to pass it out to you. There's some things you probably got deep-seated in you that you can't forgive a person. Maybe someone's hurt you. Maybe someone's done something to you. Maybe someone, whatever. But yet, yet, God calls for us to be forgivers. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down on that paper. I'll give you a few minutes. I want you to be honest with yourself. Do I have an honest church here today? People who say, Pastor, I've been scarred. Pastor, I've been backstabbed. I've been hurt. I've got tons of pain in me. But yet I know it's not what God desires for me. I want you to write down whatever it is. Don't write a book. Don't write a book on that paper. Don't write me an essay. 
write down maybe one or two words what you're dealing with. And I want you to fold it up. And I would ask you that you would be so honest with yourself that you come to one of these five leaders up here. You come to one of these five leaders and you hand it to them. And they're not, they're not going to read it. We're going to throw them out after service. I'll personally shred them all. My business is not to know what you've been through. But yet I'm going to ask these leaders to pray for you that God gives you strength to approach this subject of forgiveness with realness. To be able to approach the people who have hurt you, the ones who have molested you, the parents who have abandoned you, the siblings who have backstabbed you, the husbands who have left you, the wives who have cheated on you, that God would give you the strength to forgive them. That God would work in your heart. Come on, bow your heads right now. If I'm talking to you, if I can just even get one, I don't even care, I get one. If I'm talking to you, take some time right now, right now, just write down on your paper, maybe something that you're dealing with when it comes to unforgiveness. A place in your life where you're hurting. And you don't want to live with this burden anymore. You're saying, I want God to work a work of forgiveness. If I've been forgiven, oh God, I have to forgive. You don't have to act like you have it all together today. You don't have to act like you, you got it all put together, like if everything's fine. Today is a declaration saying, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ and radical disobedience to God. It calls for radical obedience to God. And I'm going to forgive those who have hurt me. Come on, you're taking time right now. If you need a paper, just raise your hand. They got more. Come on, you're taking time right now. You're writing on your paper. You're writing on your paper. You're saying, man, Pastor, I have got some pains. I don't care if you're ushering. I don't care if you're in the back. If you're working sound. If you got something that you need to get off your chest, today is your day. Today is your day for God to begin a work. Because the Bible says that he who began a work in you, he is faithful to complete it. And if you start this right now, God, God, God will complete this work. God will complete this work. Come on, you got a few more minutes. If that's you, you're writing down right. I got some pain. I got some hurts. I got some hurts in my life, Pastor. If you've been writing on that thing, I want you just to fold it up when you're done. We're not going to read it. We're not going to read it. If you want to talk about it, you can call the office. You can call any one of the ministers. We can counsel you. But today, we're taking steps of forgiveness. Amen. We're taking steps to forgive. nothing, nothing will change when you walk away from this altar. You have to decide. This is not a spiritual trick that you write out on a paper and it goes away. This is an outward sign of what inwardly God is trying to do. It's an outward sign of inward transformation. Come on, every head bow. Every head bow. Come on, let's just bow our heads. I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to they're going to sing after I pray. But what I want you to do is if you have something written down, I want you to be bold. And I want you to walk up to this altar. I want you to walk up to this stage. And I want you to go to any one of these ministers. Hand them your paper and say, I'm letting go. So when I finish praying, if that's you, I want you to make your way up. Come on, bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you right now. And we ask you, Lord, begin the process of forgiveness. Begin the process as we try to let it go today, God, and leave it at the altar, give us the strength and the boldness to be like you, to live like you, and redefine what it means to be forgiven in our lives.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on. If that's you, you're making your way up to this front. If you're written it down, you're saying, I want prayer. Just get behind somebody. Don't worry about nobody else. Just line up behind them. Come on, today's your day. Come on, lift it up. Christ the Lord.